know for most of us, it's been a cold week, right? <laughs> we, um, I, I love the seasons because the seasons uh, cause you to want, especially the winter season, cause you to look forward to spring, right? That's, that's my, uh, you know, I think of, uh, as I was driving here this morning and the sun was out, um, it, uh, it cheered me. And I don't know about you, but light has a way of affecting us, doesn't it? I mean, remember that we had, uh, what was it, two days of just, it was just overcast. And it looked so dreary, and it was like, uh, and it affects your mood. Uh, and then all of a sudden, the sun comes out, and you go like, I was driving, and I was like, this is so great. And even though I was still cold, and, uh, but at the same time, it just, uh, it cheered me up. And I think that light does that. And uh, light is, uh, in a a wonderful week, we serve the Son, the Son of God, who is really God's uh, sunlight to us, correct? I mean, he said, I am the light of the world. And he says, by me, he says, anyone that believes in me won't trip. You know, they won't fall. And uh, what a wonderful thing that God has given us the light of Christ to shine in our dark world. And then he's also said, ye are the lights of the world. And that uh, kind of boggles my mind <laughs> because uh, I'm thinking, like, all I can do is reflect God's light. Uh, and so the more we look at Christ, the more light we shine uh, to the world. And that's really kind of our topic this morning because uh, in Philippians chapter 2, we ended with every knee shall bow and every tongue confess uh, in verse 11 of chapter 2 that every, uh, that every knee, every knee would bow, every tongue would confess both in heaven and under the earth. And um, I was thinking about this after the message because uh, Roger came up to me and says, well, what does that mean under the earth? And um, I said, well, you know, that means that every, every creature, whether, they've, uh, whether it's an angel or a demon, that every knee will bow. Under the earth is kind of, some, uh, kind of a reference to those that are in the underworld, that they too will have to bow, even though they will d- bow unwillingly. I mean, they're not, they're not doing that because they, they want to, but they will have to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he is sovereign. And that's going to be a sight to see, right? Especially when that old rebel is running around here, uh, causing a lot of, I mean, he, there's, you know, Satan is not really in control, but he thinks he is. You know, but the point is, is that, however, he has the world system under his thumb. And because of that, we, uh, but we know that uh, the Lord is on his throne. And, and, and so this passage kind of ends with this, you're kind of like on top of the mountain, right? You're kind of like a transfiguration. You see, you know, we're, we're left in, in Philippians chapter 2, that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And then you're kind of expecting Paul to just break out in praise, right? Because he does that. Every time he comes to something like this, a great passage of Scripture, he'll break out in praise and say, well, thanks be to God. And then he'll say, you know, may every knee bow. And he will, he will say something that will provoke us to worship. But he doesn't do that here. He gives us a therefore. <laughs> and then he gives us three, uh, you might say, three exhortations, things that... Uh, that are things that we need to do in response to the fact that not only did Christ come and not only did he humble himself 
not only did God exalt him to his right hand, but now he says, therefore, this is what I want you, th you to do, these three things. And so that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at these three exhortations from this section, and beginning with verse 12 through verse 18. And basically, Paul gets real practical, and it's kind of like, okay, if... This is what it means to be shining as lights in the dark world because we, we have received the light. If you're a Christian, you've received, you're, you, the light of God is in your soul. The light shined in your darkness and he turned the light on and you, began to, you realized who Jesus was. You realized your own sinfulness, but you also, we, all, we realized that who God is and what Christ has done. And God has turned that light on. And we have bowed the knee and we confess Christ as Lord. And now that light is shining and it's here to shine in a world that's dark. And I don't think any one of us would question when we turn on the news, it's a dark world, right? Morally dark, spiritually dark, it's broken. And no matter how, much, how many peace conferences they have, it's still broken. And there's still broken lives, and there's broken homes, and there's broken families. There's broken, broken everything. But this is what Jesus uh, has for us here this morning in verse 12. And I'm, I'm, notice when he, Paul says a therefore, you kind of like, okay, now what's he going to do? Well, therefore, my beloved, verse 12, as you have always obeyed, not so, not, not so now, not only as in my ab presence, but much more in my absence, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or questioning, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast or holding forth to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud or boast that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. And even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and offering of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. And may the Lord add his blessing upon his word. Let's pray. Father, as we come, we, uh, we need your help, Lord. Um, There's a lot of wonderful truths here that we need to uh, need to take hold of us, Lord, and th that we need to see more clearly. Uh, Father, that we might function as those lights that, uh, Father, uh, bear a testimony of your, uh, your grandeur and your goodness and your glory and your grace. And so, Father, as we come before you this, this morning, we, uh, I know you've heard, Father, the needs of this congregation. And, and so we pray for the needs, Father, of this uh, this congregation, many who are sick, uh, many who have just been struggling through this COVID crisis, Father, that uh, we've been in for a couple of years now. And we just ask, Father, for your healing hand to be upon those who are going through this now. Uh, we pray for those who are recovering from surgery. Uh, we think of Kenny specifically and others who, uh, Father, who have, um, have really been struggling with health issues. But most of all, Father, we pray that in everything that, uh, Father, your hand of mercy and grace would just comfort and encourage and strengthen your, your church. Uh, Father, we can get so discouraged with, uh, Father, even when our health isn't what it should be, and we, uh, Father, we get overwhelmed. And we just ask you for your, pet, your grace, Father, in those moments to, to trust that, uh, 
that uh, we have, when we look into the mountains from whence cometh our help, we know that our help comes from you. And that, Father, you're never late, you never sleep nor slumber, and that you will answer our prayers according to your riches and glory. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, these, uh, this passage has three actual commands here, or actually exhortations. I call them exhortations, although they are commands. Uh, and the first one, I think, is obviously one in verse 12 and 13. And that uh, really, Paul is talking about shining as lights. And he says the first way we do that is we work out our own salvation in a, hum- with a, in a humble walk with God. So he's going to talk about our walk, our witness and our worship here in these three passages. And so he's going to address our walk first, and he's basically going to talk about this whole idea of working out your salvation. And I guess we need to say, first of all, what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that you have to work in order to be saved. Okay, so we know that because if Paul were to say that, he would be contradicting everything he's been, t- he's been teaching in other passages, like in Galatians, for example, or Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, which says, For by grace you're saved through faith. That not of yourself, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So, so Paul isn't saying that we work out, we have to be saved by our works here. But what he is saying is in the context, you'll notice that he addresses his believers here as beloved. And why do you think he does that? He's talking to them as believers. He's saying, you're Christians, you're beloved, you're beloved, you're beloved of God. And in chapter 1, verse 6, remember he says the work that God's begun in you, he's going to complete. So he's talking to believers, first of all. And then secondly, that word work out just means to finish something that's been been started. God started a work in you. When God saves us, I I have to say it, it's like we're like spiritual babies. And uh, Peter, in 1 Peter, I know that Frank's going to be teaching on that. He says what? Like little babies, he he says, drink the milk of the word. And what does a baby want to do? The baby's born, it, that's all it wants. It's, it's all it can drink, actually. It's just it needs milk. And it nourishes the baby. Well, Paul, of course, in Peter there, is just basically saying, well, God, get, God saves us. And then all of a sudden, that new life within us, he's saying, now that, let work that out. Let that, the life of Christ just it's dwells in you. And he's saying that, wor- that work in you comes out in the way that you walk and talk and those those types of things. And then thirdly, the word salvation there is not talking about justification by faith. See, he's saying work out your own salvation with trembling and fear. And the reason he does that in this verse there is that he's talking about not salvation in the past tense. See, there's three tenses of salvation, right? The, fa- the first t- tense of salvation is God saves us in the pa- with past tense. He saves us from the penalty of sin. That's our justification. In the present, right now, as, as believers, God is saving us from the, from the power and the pollution of sin. That's what God's doing now, and that's called sanctification. It's becoming more like Christ. It's, it's not sinlessness, but it is becoming more like Christ, which means that we're going to be sinning less. <laughs> We're not sinless, but we're sinning less. But then there's the third tense, the future tense of salvation, is God is going to save us from the very presence of sin. But here, Paul is focusing totally on sanctification. In other words, God's, God saved you, and now he's saying, let that, he says, now work out your own salvation there. He's just basically saying that as, since God saved you by his grace, how are you going to grow? 
except by what? Trusting and depending on his grace now. See, um, that, that's why I think that Paul is talking here about this idea of working out our salvation in a humble walk with God because humility is this. I can't do it on my own. Now, I'm responsible as a Christian because God, uh, God says I'm supposed to work out my salvation. I'm, I'm supposed to respond in obedience to the Word of God. But I do that in dependence upon God's strength. See, there's a difference. Uh, it's not like, okay, God saves me and he says, okay, you're on your own. See that? Now, some people kind of would say, oh, no, this sanctification is all your work. No, sanctification is you work, your, God says you work out your salvation in dependence upon the Holy Spirit and the grace that God gives you day by day. And that, and see, so what do you have? You have a synergistic. You have God, you, God commanding you to obey. And then he says, and I'm going to give you the strength and the will and the desire to obey. And you say, well, wait there. Where's my freedom and all that? Well, God just changes your will. He, God is, God, uh, Augustine said it like this. He says this. He says that God, com- he says, God command what you will and command. Nor command, give what you command and command what you will. So God give me not only the willingness to obey, but then also the enablement to obey. And the enablement comes from the Holy Spirit. And so if, if we, as Christians, sometimes we, we think, okay, it's, it's just let go and let God do everything. No, God engages us and says, here are all these commands of Scripture And here's the enablement for me in order to obey and to love and to serve God. In other words, how can I love my neighbor? By not murmuring and complaining about my neighbor. (laughs) Because he's going to talk about that the second second point. In other words, sanctification is real practical, right? It it really kind of gets down to the nitty-gritty stuff, the stuff that's kind of like, this is just, this is not, you know, this is not the mountaintop experience stuff. This is just the daily grind stuff. The stuff that's painful at times. I mean, Peter says it like this in 2 Peter 1. He says, God's given you everything you need as a Christian to live a godly life. And then what does he say? Make every effort to add to your faith, what? Virtue. And add to virtue, knowledge. And add to knowledge, humility. (laughs) You need, you know, if you get a lot of knowledge without humility, what happens? You just got a big head. Yeah, you're kind of puffed up. And somebody's going to bust that bubble sometime, right? So, so the, the point about what he's trying to get at is, notice the attitude. He says you're to do it with fear and trembling. And so he's talking about humility there. Humility is this, is that I realize that in myself I can do nothing without depending upon the Lord's help and the Lord's strength. And so Paul's using, he's using, uh, he uses this word even when he goes to preach in Corinth. You know, he says, uh, as he went to preach at Corinth, he says, he says, I came to you knowing no other message than Jesus Christ and him crucified. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, or chapter 2, verse 11. But notice he says, and I came to you preaching, uh, he said, I came to you in trembling and fear. So Paul says, I preached with fear and trembling. It's not that Paul was, the idea of working out your salvation in a, in a humble walk is, is basically this, is that, I mean, there's something sobering about the fact that, and reverence about the fact that we serve the living God. 
that's the idea of fear. It's, it's not just the idea of, oh, no, I'm being punished. It's, it's reverence, and this is a very solemn occasion that as a Christian that I actually am called to walk with God, like, like Enoch. Enoch walked with God, right? Uh, Elijah, we're going to see, walked with God. And it was a sobering thing, but he wasn't, not, that, not the idea of terror, but the idea of reverence and solemnity and the, uh, sobriety, the, the idea that, wow, this is, this is pretty awesome that God has called me to work out, to, to not only to live this Christian life, but to work it out with, within this, this humble dependence upon God. I can't live the Christian life with this attitude of like, you know, I got it together. See, you know, when, when I meet somebody and they say, well, I've got it together, just follow me, I go, mm. I start kind of like, I, I, I kind of halt and kind of think, you know, I'm going to be really careful. <laughs> because nobody's got it all together. And even Paul said this, he, he, that he preached with fear and trembling. There was a sense in which, Lord, I'm standing, you know, the idea of fear of the Lord in the Old Testament, remember uh, that they used to use this term, I don't, they don't use, I don't hear this term anymore, God-fearer. That person's a God-fearer. It doesn't mean that they're terrified of God, it just means that they have a sense of God's presence. Do you realize that God is with us 100, or 24-7, 100% of the time? And that you do nothing without God looking over your shoulder. I hate to say that. <laughs> you know, when you turn that computer on, you know, uh, it, God's there. When I, that, I turn that television on, God is there. When I'm, when, I'm, uh, when I'm at the store or when somebody cuts me off, God is there. <laughs> God is, that, the idea of the fear is that God is always with us, and that's a good thing. Uh, it causes you to be a little more serious about what you're driving, right? You, you watch out. You don't just cut, cut people off. But see, God is doing, doing his work in you. And that's what Paul is saying here is he's saying one of the ways that, that he wants us to, to apply the truths that he's been taught. Remember, chapter 2 is about what? Walking in humility with one another. And then he says, Jesus humbled himself and he obeyed his father. And now he's saying, when God gives us his word, he's saying, now you obey with fear and trembling. Not with terror, but with an understanding that God is with you. And his presence with you is a presence of grace, by the way. It's, I mean, if God, think about it, if it wasn't grace, in which if God revealed himself without grace, we, we would just vanish. It'd be like, it would be like us the, being too close to the sun. We would melt. But because of God's grace, God with us is actually a good thing. And that's a humbling thing. And he's saying, now work out your salvation in a humble walk. But notice this, but also in a pa- with a patient witness. Notice the witness he's going to talk about. Now, he's going to get real practical because notice verse 14, do all things without grumbling or questioning. And you go, uh-oh, he just stepped on my toes. Because <laughs> notice he didn't just say do some things without grumbling or questioning. He says do all things without grumbling and and questioning, and I'm going like, wow, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. We live in a world that's twisted and crooked and dark. And he's saying the way that we, even our talk, 
and the way that we deal with things that we, don't, we disagree with, that that has a witness to the world. That, the word that murmuring is a word that means to complain under one's breath. It's, uh, it's used of doves cooing. Ooh, 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 ooh. And they all start ooh, and, that, and you're going like, would they just shut up <laughs> just for a second? Well, that's the murmuring, uh, is the idea of murmuring. And then the, and the complaining is this contentious spirit. And the reason he's dealing with this is because who was not getting along in the church? Remember Utica and Syntica in chapter 4. And he's been telling them they need to be united and the way that they, they, they grow in unity as a body is that they humble themselves and look out for who's good. Not just their own, but for others. See, the murmuring, complaining is people are doing things that irritate me, not things that, in other words, putting my interests above other people's interests. And, and so Paul, in some ways, is kind of a, kind of you might say he's kind of reflecting back to the Old Testament. Remember when um, the children of Israel, as soon as God delivers them from the Red Sea, they run into, they, get, they, they, they go into the desert, and what happens? There's no water. What happens? They start grumbling and complaining. And they say, where's the water? You just take us back to Egypt, Moses. We want to go back. And then Moses, and then God tells Moses what? Speak to the rock. And out came the water. And then later on, they, start, they, they don't have any food. And they start murmuring, and, they, and, and God says, okay, I'll give them manna. And then they didn't like the manna, and what did God? God sent them pheasants, and then it, and with a little bit of trouble. <laughs> and then later on, they started complaining and murmuring against Joshua and Caleb because they came back with a good report, and they wanted to kill them. And, and, and so, so, so Paul is kind of referring back there and saying, now don't do that. <laughs> In other words, these things about murmuring, complaining, you know, we th often think, well, that's not a big sin. But, you know, it disrupts the unity of the body of Christ. And that's what he's trying to get at. He's saying, how do we shine as lights in the world if the world looks at the church and doesn't see a difference? That's what he's trying to get at. And so how does God do that? He begins to humble us, begins to change us, make us more like Christ. And then it's how we relate to our brothers and sisters in Christ is not a matter of indifference. It's a matter of real priority. It really is important. Because the world looks at that and they say, okay, the church should be different. Um, if somebody comes to you in the church and they say, you know, I think my gift is critical spirit. And you say, okay, I'll just avoid you. Because... <laughs> I don't, see, see that's, that's, in other words, a person who's a critic could be. Now, it doesn't mean that there couldn't be good criticism, but the criticism is not a cr critic of a person who's just basically always saying, I'm saying er what everybody else is thinking. Okay, that could be, that can be very dangerous. Uh, you know, you, I, I think, you know, in business, you know, you walk in, uh, you walk up at a meeting, you remember, and the management's saying, okay, we want you to work longer hours and shorter pay. And you're going like, and then everybody gathers at where? The water cooler. And then what happens? Everybody start rumbling <laughs> or complaining. And you're going like, okay, my, my, my flesh wants to go there. But I know if I do, I'm going to probably say more than I should. And so you walk away, right? You know, it's kind of like, okay, Lord, you, you've told me. But because what's God calling us to as a Christian? He's calling us to stand out in a world that needs to see the love of Christ. 
a world that needs to see what it means for a Christian to shine as a light and be different. And so God is calling us as Christians to stand out, not in a bad way to stand out, but notice in a good way to stand out that we are not being conformed to the world's value system. Because the world is basically saying, look, if, if it means t- telling a lie just to get time off to do, you know, take a vacation, it's okay if, if they don't know about it, right? Stretch the truth. I mean, the world has its own value system, and a Christian has been called to live differently. And, and that's, what, that's what Paul is talking about. He's saying the fact that God, the Son, humbled himself and obeyed his Father, God's calling us to that same walk of life and that same witness. Our witness will have much more power when we share the word with somebody who sees our life different than the world. Um, See, the world, God intends the world to see the light because the world, he knows, needs what? It needs to see the light. It needs to see our witness. It It needs to see... Our, I mean, like, for example, remember First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4, I think it's verse 12 or 13, it says this, that, that it's God's will for your sanctification, that you not walk in immorality. So what happens if a Christian's walking in immorality? How does that stain the witness of Christ? Really, it's terrible, right? If they don't repent. Stains the witness. And he's saying... God's will for you is your sanctification. He wants you to become more like Christ. And conforming to Christ means this, is that I have to not adopt the standards of the world because that will, that will hurt the witness of the church. It destroys, it weakens the witness of the church. And so, so Paul is saying, look, I, he says, that's what God's called us to here. And so our witness is one in which the world can't look and say, Put a finger and say, we are, we are, you're, you're to blame. You're not walking in holiness before God. <laughs> See, there will be those, those types of moments in that, uh, you know, it is, it is a temptation to listen to the world, right? If you listen to the television, do you ever get, uh, you watch, uh, I used to listen to the news every evening, but I started getting angry and frustrated. Yeah. Because it just, what? Because there's nothing positive. <laughs> Never. I mean, and, and I, I agree with some of the things that they're saying, but, you know, guess what? I'm, Jesus conquered the world through love, right? And love means sacrifice. And love means caring for others. And that's what Paul is getting at here is how, why did Jesus come from heaven to earth to save us except for the fact he loved us so much he was willing to go take our interests, his, our interests above his own. And that's what God calls us as Christians to do. There was a lady that lived uh, in the uh, Reformation period. Her name was Marie Durant. And uh, she was 14 years old. She went to church with her mother, and they threw her in jail. That was uh, in France uh, during the Reformation. She and 30 other women were thrown in prison. She was 14 years old. Think about it, 14 years old just because she wouldn't recant her faith in Christ. She stayed in prison for 38 years. She was 52 when she got out. But on the walls, etched on the wall of the prison, they said, you must recant. And you know what? They, they, took, they took a sewing needle 
those women did, and they put on there, resist. <laughs> it's still there today. You could, go in, you, could go into, you could go to that prison, and you'd see where they etched in that resist. And think about it, 38 years of your life. But there was something more valuable to them than recanting their faith in Jesus Christ. And if it meant that much to them, how much more to us as Christians, you know, when God calls us, you know, it's, boy, it's so hard. Lord, my, 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 my biggest struggle in my Christian life is my tongue, right? And that's what Paul, he's dealing with, he's just dealing with that old wagging tongue of mine. And he's saying, John, you know, you all, you know one of the things that God does in sanctification is that he, he begins to put a harness on that tongue. Uh, just like, a, like you put a bridle on a horse, uh, God, in a sense, puts a bridle on our tongues, doesn't he? And, you know, and that's not, a one, that's not a one-time experience. Guess what? Sanctification for me has been like this. It's not a straight line. It's like this. And it's just this up and down, up and down. But I'm getting better, but I'm still not there. I'm growing. And so as Paul's speaking to us about what God's doing in your life, so in other words, the, 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 the times we're down is those times when we're repenting and asking God for grace and God growing us, showing us things that we're doing that, that are not healthy and not good. Oftentimes it's that we're not in the Word. Sometimes we're not having fellowship with other believers, which we need. Because your sanctification gets worked out in the body of Christ. I used to think, well, no, I mean... This is all about per, my personal sanctification, but it's not. It's about the body being a part of your sanctification. I mean, think about it. How many passages in the Bible are about pray for one another, encourage one another, build up one another, forgive one another, carry one another's burdens? How do I do that if I'm a Christian living, trying to live my Christian life on my own? I get in a pit. I mean, I, I tell you, boy, the, the, the more I'm with John and, and I, can, I can shut my study door and Chris could say, okay, I'm going to leave you alone. Guess what? If I don't get out of that, you know, I need other people. Think of other people, other Christians in your life as, as like the rearview mirror. They see things in your life that you don't see. And that doesn't mean they're critics, they, they, but they come alongside and they say, you know, I just really think you're, you're discouraged. I want to I encourage you. Think about, I mean, think about all the one anothering in the Bible, and that's what community looks like. And what destroys community is what? The very things that he's telling us not to do, right? And why should we listen? Because it affects our witness not only within the body, but outside the body the body of Christ. And so Paul's saying, hey, this is important. But then he, he kind of concludes with this last thing, and he's talking about one of the ways we work out our salvation with trembling and fear is this, is through joyful worship. Notice the joy he talks about here in verse the last part of this section. Notice this, holding forth or holding fast to the word of life. In other words, we offer the gospel to people so that in the day of Christ I may pr be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Paul's not using the word pride like boasting, uh, self-boasting. He's using it in terms of, you know, that he's proud of the Philippian church, that they are, not only did they hear the gospel, but they continued with Paul for all these years. They, when he went to prison, they sent him a gift. 
They sent him their pastor, Epaphroditus, in the last part of this chapter. Um, they sent money to the Jerusalem church when the Jerusalem church, those believers, didn't have jobs. They, they, it says, you gave out of your poverty in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. So, so, but notice how, Paul, how he talks about, even if I am to be poured out, verse 17, as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. In other words, he's saying, I am glad and I rejoice with you all. And likewise, I want you also should be glad and rejoice with me. In other words, he wants them to share their joy with him. He, he's basically... Here's Paul, and he's saying that it's worth it. He says, I see my life in prison like this. My life, as they put every morning and evening, they'd had the burnt offering in the temple. And the priest, as the offering was burnt, they would take wine, and they'd pour it out on the offering. And that, and that smoke would go up as an offering to God. And Paul's saying, my life's being poured out like that. And he says, I rejoice. Who's he rejoicing over? He's rejoicing over other Christians, and they're growing in Christ-likeness. Isn't that beautiful picture of how the interaction within, you know, in God's, in God's church and, and among God's people? In other words, Paul is saying, look, the sacrifices that God calls us to make for one another, they're worth it. In fact, in Thessalonians, he says, who is my crown of rejoicing in heaven? He says, you are, Thessalonians. You're my... He says, my crown of rejoicing is I want to see other people there that either have come to Christ who have been encouraged or I've walked, I've, I've shared suffering with, I've shared sorrows with, I've shared burdens with, people that I, I probably would never know. And I'm going to be able to say, we rubbed elbows together. Boy, we went through the foxhole together, didn't we? <laughs> we went through some, boy, Satan at times, Benny, he really got us down. But guess what? We overcome. How do we overcome? Through the blood of Christ. Jesus Christ, right? That's how they overcame in Revelation. And we are together as encouragers one another. As we walk together in this, this journey, Paul's just saying, look, the light of the gospel is shining in you. And as you interact and grow together in your study of his word, as you share fellowship together, all of those things will present to the world the very thing that they need. The world needs Jesus Christ. Don't let the world tell you that the most important thing, that worship is kind of like, uh, you know, I, I, this thing that uh, they did when COVID was big is that, you know, well, only the essential services need to meet. Guess what? Worship is essential, isn't it? Think about it. I need to hear the word of God. I mean, I, it, it's life and death to me to read it, to reflect on it, to pray over it. Um, there, there's this this. The reality that the world is basically saying, the world is saying, we don't need God. We don't need God in what? Schools. We don't need God in government. We don't need God in any activity. They want to push God all the way outside of the peripheral. And then they bring in all their idols, Donnie. You know, bow the knee to what? We bow the knee to the philosophy of the world. We bow the knee to all the all the falsehood of the world. And they say, now these are essential. And you're going like, no, these are not essential. The one thing that's essential is Jesus Christ. And that's what God has done in our, in our congregation, in our lives, is that God has saved us. And we have what the world needs. It's essential. 
the light to shine brighter and brighter and brighter. And that's why Paul said, Be, I beseech you therefore by the mercies of God that you present your bodies, what? A living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your ser reasonable service of worship. And be not what? Conformed to the world, but to be metamorphosis, to be transformed. That's what sanctification is, being transformed from one stage of glory to another as we look at Jesus Christ, 2 Corinthians 3.18. As we look at him in the this is the this is the mirror. And we look and we see Christ in the mirror. And what happens when you look, you look in the mirror? I don't always see Jesus, but you know, as we look in the Word and as we're studying and praying and asking God, Lord, change my heart, guess what? All of a sudden, that mirror starts, we're becoming to look more like Christ. You say, I don't see it. You're not supposed to. That might make you too proud, right? But other people do. The world recognizes it. You know why they get upset at Christians when Christians say something about Jesus? It's because it's convicting. When they see your life, that you love. I mean, the fact that you and I got up on this cold morning and came to church because we wanted to hear the Word of God, they think we're nuts. They literally do. They think, what crazy person would drive that far just to go to church? Or why would... Why would anybody come out on a cold morning like this to hear somebody talk about Jesus? Well, they don't know Jesus, do they? They don't know what it means to have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And that light, that's, that's what Paul's saying. And, and, you know, and he keeps talking about joy. Guess what? The joy flows out of that relationship. That's the whole point. The more we become like Christ, the more joy you'll have in your Christian life. You say, but I'm going through so many trials in my Christian life. Guess what? You can still have joy. My joy is not dependent on my circumstances. Paul's in prison. He's going to die in prison. He's going to lose his life in prison. And Paul's saying, I rejoice. And he says, and I want you to share your joy with me too. Share some, uh, share some PTLs with me. <laughs> That's what he's saying. Share some of those. You know, as you share that, I mean, I mean you, sometimes you say, well, why do we do that? Well, we need to hear PTLs, don't we? Because we need that encouragement. Yes, God is at work. It's his world, and he's sovereign, and every knee is going to bow. And we just gladly bow the knee now, right? And we gladly confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, and just ask now that you bless it to each of our hearts this, this day. And Lord, may our witness be one that would shine brighter and brighter as we behold Christ in the pages of your word, we pray in his name.